of teaching or allowing the Holy Spirit to teach through me. And I praise you, God, for the word that shall go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. And I bind the enemy off this word. You're bound off of it now, in Jesus' name. Okay, let's go ahead. And um, Wednesday night I started teaching. Got to go back here and see where we go. In Mark chapter 4. And let's go and read it really quick. The sower sows the word. I thought I would finish that. I was really surprised, but the Lord took me completely out of there. And Pastor was home listening to a tape by someone. It was amazing. I had no idea we even had this tape by someone. And um, it was actually Keith Moore. And it was on the sower sows the word. And he, he went off, completely went off into a, a different way and um, I haven't heard that tape so and still I haven't heard it okay Matthew chapter 4 and let's go ahead and start with okay we found out that he said that you need to understand this parable um, let's start with verse 13 I'm going to read out of the Amplified. And he said to them, Do you not discern and understand this parable? How then is it possible for you to discern and understand all the parables? So what he's saying here, you need to discern and understand this parable. The sower sows the word. The ones along the path are those who have the word sown in their hearts. But when they hear, when they hear Satan comes at once and by force takes away the message which is sown in them. And in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy. And they have no real root in themselves, or no root or word in themselves. And so they endure for a little while. Then when trouble or persecution arise on account of the word, they immediately are offended. You notice that. They're offended. They become offended and become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and fall away. And the ones sown among the thorns are those who hear the word and the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of this age and the pleasures and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. And those sown on good, well-adapted soil are the ones who hear the word and receive and accept and welcome it 60 times as much and some even 100 times as much. And he said to them, is the lamp brought to be put is the lamp brought in to be put under a peck, a measure, or under a bed, and not to be put on the lampstand. Okay, so let's go ahead. We got <laughs> the first page and two paragraphs down this, so I want to give you one and two in this so you'll know. Um, one is the sower's identity. We know that the identity was... Um, 
was the word of God. The sword pictured is the reference to Jesus. That was A, B, the sower's intention. He sows because he ultimately desires to reap a harvest. That's what the farmer does. He casts a seed in expectation of much more in return. The sower has one goal, to see his seed into the ground so a harvest can come. Seed was the sower's investment. The farmer must give something a bit away before he can expect to receive anything in return. He takes the precious seed and he's, that he saved from the last harvest and he casts it into the soil, hoping it will produce a great harvest. In some ways, and I didn't share this the other night, it's kind of like generations. God's plan is for when a... When a no one in my family that I ever knew before me was ever born again that I know of. And so his plan is that when one generation gets saved, that it, the next generation, then the next generation, then the next generation hears the word and receives the word and accepts the word and, and salvation just keeps going on. And so we see here that um, as we read this, we saw that what the heavenly sower did, Jesus gave his all so that there might be gospel seed to cast into the soil of the human heart. He gave his all, everything. There was nothing that he held back. That's what we're to do also with him. We're to give him his, our all. Amen? Okay, and so we also gave the scriptures in John 6.37 Acts 16.31 and John 6.47 and I have no idea what else but I know there was much more scripture given. Do you have them all? Luke 8.11. Okay, we're going to go there. I think we're going to go there next. So that's because that's number three. So got it, Christine. And so the treasure of the seed is in Luke 8, 11, and Jesus identifies the seed as the word of God. And I'm not going to go there. When the farmer walked into the, his field with his seed bag, he held in his hand a genuine treasure. He cast that treasure to the wind, hoping that it would accomplish his desire. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into this world with a treasure. He came to give, give men the gospel. When Jesus cast the seed of the gospel into the shifting winds of this world, he did so that the sure knowledge that it would be accomplished, his purpose completely. And then that's Isaiah 55, 11, and let's turn there. I know there was a lot that I, of scripture that I gave out that I didn't have. Like I told pastor, I had all these notes and it went a whole different way, so... It's going to give you what I have in my notes right now. And, and if the Lord wants to move somewhere else, that's, different. that's fine. So my word, so shall my word, word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect useless, but it shall accomplish that which I pleased and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 1. Amen? And so we realize that this, this God's Word 
that goes forth out of his mouth shall not return to him void without producing any effect. That's why we need to speak forth the word. Two, um, that was number two. Notice the treasure in the seed. It holds great power, life. This is num number A on this. Before the seed falls on the soil, the soil devoid of life, it lies there barren and empty. So this, we're still in number two. It lies there barren and empty. But when the seed falls on good soil, it germinates and it always brings life to something that was before, that before was dead. So it is with the gospel of grace. It brings life to the dead hearts of those lost in their sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Thank God. That old life of ours is no more. God doesn't remember it. And the only time I do is if God wants me to bring it up to help in teaching. I don't go back and think about my old life and the old stuff. That, that was, it wasn't worth thinking about, to be honest with you. But if it, if it helps in teaching, it'll come forth. Okay, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And he made, and you, you and I, he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins. I'm reading out of the Amplified today. In which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashions of this world. You were under the sway of the tendency of the present age. Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless and rebellious and the unbelieving who go against the purpose of God. Let's see. Among these, we also, among these as well, as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated to our senses and our dark images. We were then, by nature, children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God so richly is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful intense love which he loved us. Even when we were dead slain by our shortcomings and trans trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him. It is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ. And he raised us up together with him and made us to sit down together giving us joint seating with him 
in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Hallelujah. He did this to, that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You see, when seed germinates, it always transforms the soil in which it is sown. It brings forth life and eventually fruit in a place where only barren, barrenness and death could be found before. We'll, we're going to discuss that in a few moments. Still, this is what makes the gospel such a great treasure. It produces life in a place that was formerly dead. So when you look at a person that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, begin to look at them and see what they will be like born again. Don't look at their sin, but look at what God desires to do with their lives. Because none of you would have liked me or wanted to know me before Jesus, I guarantee it. And so we have a tendency to look at people who are sinners and, and begin to pick them apart. They are acting of their father, the devil. That is who, the, you know, they are not born again. They are not of God. They're of this world and they're of, of the enemy. And so thank God we should be so grateful for who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Be it holds great promise. Every seed that was sown by the sower had the potential to produce more seed. Um, in Ephesians 2.8. Am I, do I want to be there? Hang on a second. Yeah. In verse 8 which he lavished upon us every kind of wisdom and understanding, practical insight and prudence. And in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, for in, in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. So, pardon? I am in Ephesians. I'm in chapter one, sorry. <laughs> Here we go, we're going to do it again. We need, we need verse 23 of chapter one though right now. Which is his body, who is us, say that's me. The fullness of him who fills all in all, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Okay, now we're in chapter 2. We can all rejoice. Okay, 2, verse 1. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sin, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of the world. You were under the sway and tendency of the present age. Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit. Well, we got that one. So let's go ahead and look at verse, sorry about that, 8. For it is the free gift, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, 
That should make us all jump, jump up and run around the church. You're saved. You're delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is a gift of God. Hallelujah. Now we can look down here in this chapter in verse 23. Well, I guess not. <laughs> you got it in the last one, okay. One little seed has the potential to multiply. Go back to, to um, Luke, please. Yeah, we're in the wrong. Well, I don't know, but we all needed those scriptures. Luke. Hang on. I did study this, folks. Okay, hang on. I'm going to mark. Yeah, we're running around. <laughs> Just ignore it and have a good time. should have seen me. I slept for two days. It was kind of interesting. Okay, Mark. I want to make sure I'm in the right place here, you guys. All right, that's where I want to be. I want to be in Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Another seed of the same kind fell into good, well-adapted soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yield up to 30 times as much and 60 times as much and even 100 times as much as had been sown. Now, verse 28, or 23, sorry. This is us. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. So tell your ears you're going to hear. You're hearing today and you're listening. You can plant one bean seed and from that seed reap many beans with each pod containing several more seeds. This morning as I was meditating on this, putting on my makeup, I thought about sunflower seeds and some people love sunflower seeds, but I don't like cracking those things open. So have you ever seen a bag of sunflower seeds? And then you look at, well, first look at, think of the sunflower and how many seeds that sunflower has in it. Then you look at a bag of sunflower seeds that have not been shelled. And then you look at a bag of sunflowers, you know, you have a bag of sunflower seeds that have not been shelled yet and they're kind of loose in that bag. But then when you get a bag of sunflower seeds that has been shelled and all you have is the inside of the seed, that bag is usually very tight, at least the ones that I buy are. And you think of how many seeds from that plant came out, they planted those, and it made bags and bags and bags and kernels of seed, sunflower seeds. As I was thinking about this and putting on my makeup, so you can plant one sunflower seed or bean seed and that seed reaps many beans or sunflowers, each pod containing several more seeds. 
Sow one squash seed and it will produce a plant that yields several fully grown squashes, each containing dozens if not hundreds of new seeds. Plant one corn seed and watch it produce a plant that will yield several ears, even containing many rows of fresh seeds. Each seed has the potential to reproduce itself many times over. Seed always holds the promise of more. So when you plant your seeds, when you take your finances and you plant them, there is always a promise of much more coming back to you. Matter of fact, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I remember the time Pastor brought that cereal. I think it was cornflakes or something. And he brought the box. And, you know, when you get a box of cereal, of course, I haven't eaten a box of cereal for a long time, but it's, you don't, you look at it and you go, where, what, what happened? You get a, what, two-thirds of it, maybe? I don't know anymore what you get. Pastor brought in that box and he, another box, and he started filling it and crushing those cornflakes down. And I don't remember, did you get, whoever was here prior, I think you got two boxes in that one, didn't you? Or was there more? But then you let it just run all over. Everybody appreciated that. But we saw how much it runs over, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen? Such is the promise of the seed of the gospel. When it is sown in a ready heart, say ready heart, because we want to make our hearts ready, it will germinate and reproduce itself over and over and over again. The seed has the potential to become small and bring much fruit. So when you give a seed, no matter how much it is, it begins small and it produces much. Okay, number three, the compacted soil. These are the testimony of the soils. In verse 19 of Mark, let's look at this, chapter 4. Now, the, the ones sown among the thorns and others who hear the word, then the cares of the world and the distractions of the age and the pleasures and delight of false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke out and suffocate the world and it becomes fruitless. Church, we have to watch because right now, this is the big one. Right now, verse 19 is the one that is snaring and, and captivating people in this hour. The Bible says that as in, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Lord be. I would highly recommend, recommend on your own time and your own Bible reading that you read what the days of Noah were like and pair it up with today. So again, I'll read this. Then the cares and the anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasures and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passion desires for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the world, the word, and it becomes fruitless. So we see here that the wayside, I'm going to read that in the, Look at this. Uh, 
And these are sown by the wayside 15 where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and takes away the word and was sown in their hearts. And like thighs, these which are sown on stony ground. Now, I want you to think about this. How does the enemy take the word out of your heart immediately when you're sitting there hearing it? Because faith cometh by hearing the word. So you're sitting here today and faith is coming by the word of God. Well, what happens is you sit there, you begin to think about other things. Your mind becomes distracted on other things. What you're going to have for lunch, da, da, da. The enemy is really good about this stuff in church. Or he'll begin to cause you to automatically think on things that will distract you. Distract you. Work, what you have to do today, how much you didn't get done. He's always working to try to distract you and pull you away from the word. Okay, so you need to realize this. So there are cares and there are anxieties of the world. And there are many distractions out there. So we need to understand that the wayside refers to a narrow footpath that ran beside and through the fields. These were the roads of the day and the soil on them had become as hard and concrete from the feet of the travelers and the animals that walked upon them. Now, this is during Jesus' time. I want you to think of those that came across country when the pioneers came to settle in Oregon or California. They had a trail, and they stayed on that trail. And how compact that thing became from wagon train after wagon train after wagon. I mean, that was hard, hard, hard soil. Okay? Well, in... in the Bible days, or in these days that it refers to, there were narrow footpaths that ran beside and through the fields. These were roads of the day, and the soil on them became as hard as concrete from the feet and the travelers and the animals that walked upon them. When the seed fell on the footpath, it could not penetrate the soil. It couldn't go through it. You know, we in California right now are in the middle of a drought. I mean, for me to go out and throw, throw grass seed on my front yard that is dead as can be out there, because we're not watering it, we were to throw seed, very little could come up on that, because it is compacted, it is hard. And so just kind of, you know, I think we can understand this a little bit. When the seed fall, fell on that footpath, it could not penetrate the soil, and it remained there in the open only to be devoured by the fowls of the air. Okay? We are told that this speaks of a person who hears the gospel, but who doesn't understand it at all. That is, they cannot make the connection between the claims of the gospel and their own life. Maybe they are steeped in sin and refuse to believe. Maybe they are calloused and cold towards the things of God and refuse to hear it. You know, we talked about this in early class a little bit, only we're teaching on righteousness, so it was a whole different way. We, we talked about the goodness of God and, and the attributes of God the Father. But when we look at this, we see that if we're in sin or if there's something that, one thing that I believe was Dan that brought out, God never changes. No matter what we do, 
no matter what we, you know, we, we're not going to talk him into giving his permission on something that he has already said in his word. He doesn't want us doing that's not right. It's, it's a settled fact. Whatever is in his word is settled. You're not going to change God's mind. You could throw a fit. You could carry on. You could do, you cry, go before God and cry, I really want this. I really need this. But if it's not in his word and it's not for you, then you're not going to get it. Now, I've heard people tell me before, well, God said I could have this, and it doesn't line up with the Word of God at all. And I usually get to be the lovely person that gets to tell them, show me some scripture on this to line this up. And they can't, because he does, he does not and he will not change. He just doesn't. He has ways to do things, and if we try to do it outside of the way he says to do them, it's not going to work. It's like... You know, I, I realize that nowadays to spank a child, it's not as easy as it used to, but God had one way of discipline, disciplining children, and that was to use the rod on them. It said if you use the rod on your child, there's many of them, I should know them by heart because every time I gave a spanking, I had to go through every one of them. And if they weren't good readers and they had to read it, it took a long time. I was like, can you hurry up and learn how to read here? But it took a long time. When we try to get away from that and do timeouts and whatever, it's not going to work. And the more we try to go against God's word, I'm just using this as an example. The more we try to go against what God's word says and do it our way or the way the world says to do it, the more rebellion that comes on the child. And it's not the child's fault. It is the parent's fault because they are not doing what the word of God says to do. Okay. I'm just using that as an example. So we see this and we see that this falls on soil. And it says here, when cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasures and the delight of false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the cravings and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word, it becomes fruitless. The word becomes fruitless. If we don't do it God's way and we try to do it our way, it becomes fruitless. Okay? So we see here that... If they cannot make a connection between the claims of the gospel and their own life. We are told that this speaks of a person. I'm going to go back. Who hears the gospel but who does not understand it? That is, they cannot make the connection between the claims of the gospel and their own life. Maybe they are steeped in sin and refuse to believe. Maybe they are calloused and cold towards the things of God and refuse to hear. Maybe they have hardened their hearts for years against the call of the gospel, and like a path trampled underfoot for centuries, they have become hard-hearted. That's a heavy place to become. Do you know every time that we disobey the word of God, we become hard-hearted? And if we don't repent and if we don't change it, and we continue on our way and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we become harder. Then we build up a wall and he can't pen, the word can't, cannot penetrate through it. Let's move on. Whatever their need, they are hard-hearted and the seed of the gospel cannot penetrate that soil of their heart. They hear the gospel and dismiss it as foolishness in 1 Corinthians 1.18. 
want you to kind of understand where people are and, and, and guard our hearts of not getting there. Amen. Someday, someday, <laughs> when we all get to heaven and some of the hard things that we were taught in this hour, you're going to come up and say thank you. I've had to say thank you many times to the Spirit of God because he's, I'm sitting here teaching this stuff and I'm getting it harder than any of you. Amen? Last Wednesday night's sermon hit me probably harder than any of you. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 1.18 Because if you teach it, if you're a teacher, you better do it. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Isn't this sad? For the story and the message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on the way to perdition. But to us who are being saved, it is a manifestation of the power of God. Hallelujah. The word of God preached to us is the power of God. So as the word is preached to you, it is the power of God being preached to you. Hallelujah. When this happens, the devil and his minions will snatch away the gospel seed by diverting the mind and helping the person become even more hardened against God. Well, I want to do it. And God says, I can't. So I'm going to get angry. And I'm going to harden my heart. It's really sad when you see this happening. This person has a heart that is not prepared for a work of grace leading to salvation. Let's read Proverbs 18, 19. You know, the sad thing is, Laurel had someone that she prayed about this morning that had, had, had lost a friend. And part of her prayer was that they would not become, become angry at God for this that had taken place. Well, the sad thing is, if you're in a church and you're taught that God took your child or took, your, took this person, of course you're going to get mad at God. God doesn't take people. The devil does. And to try to re take a person that's become hardened by the things that they've been told, especially in church that don't line up with the word of God, it's really sad because they've hardened their heart. Many people are out there that were taught something, even in church, that wasn't God. And so they're angry. And that's our job to go show them the goodness of God. Amen. So let's look at Proverbs 18, 19. And this is a heavy scripture. A brother offended is harder to be won over than a strong city. And their contentions separate them like the bars of a castle. Isn't that heavy? A brother offended is harder to be, harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Two versions. 
So we see here that this person's heart is, is not prepared for the grace or leading of salvation. They've become hardened. And it's up to us to teach them. That wasn't God that did that to you. That wasn't God. Boy, once you learn that God is good and he cares about you and he, you know, the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. Verses 5 and 6. Boy, this is going to go on. This sermon's going to be a while. Back to Mark. Other seed of the same kind fell on ground full of rocks. How many have ever tried to plant on where there's rocks? We have a rock garden in our backyard. You're not going to get flowers to grow out of that rock garden unless there gets hole in, holes in the black stuff that's under the rocks. And somehow the seed gets under there. Okay. So we see here in verse 5 and 6, other seed of the same kind fell on the ground full of rocks. And when it had, it, where it had not much soil, and at once it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil, and when the sun came up, it was scorched, and because it had not taken root, it withered away. Okay? This is the crippled soil. These stony places are common in Palestine. Often there will be an outcropping of limestone rock covered by a thin layer of topsoil. This soil looks like it's ready to be sown. This ground looks good and productive and seed cast here will germinate and quickly spring up into a promising plant. But because there is no depth of the soil, as soon as the sun beats down on the tender plant, it withers and dies without producing any, fr any fruit. This kind of soil speaks of a heart that makes an emotional response to the presentation of the gospel. Perhaps this person heard the gospel and said, well, I've tried everything else. <laughs> Maybe this is what I need. I may as well give Jesus a try. I hate to tell you that, but that's where I was when I got saved. I, uh, that's, this, is, this is exactly, if we're going to look at the soil that I have, this is where I was when I got saved. I've tried everything else. Nothing else is working. I might as well give Jesus a try. Or her, perhaps they came to an altar and prayed because a friend did. Perhaps they heard a shallow presentation of the gospel that presents the benefits of salvation but does not share the costs. This person knows nothing about repentance. They know nothing about repentance. What is repentance? You die to self and you don't do it any longer. Now, I very quick, quickly, the minute I came to Jesus, even though my, my thoughts were, I've tried everything and nothing has changed, so I'm going to give this a try. I really meant it when I went forward. And God just changed me. Thank God. Had I not had 
somebody that knew the word around me, people around me that kept giving it to me immediately. Not, you know, the neighbor down the street, my husband. So this person knows nothing about repentance, dying to self and turning away from the, the old life. Many millions have been inoculated against the gospel by some flimsy gospel presentation and by a false profession of faith. Whatever happened, they made a profession. They are excited, they are active, and they are accepted as the real deal, but because they have no depth to their profession, they fall away when the persecutions and tribulations associated with knowing Jesus arise. I will be very honest with you, to go out and go soul winning and not explain fully to the people what is expected is not doing them a lot of good unless and if they just say the sinner some people just say the sinner's prayer to get rid of you how many know that they will some you can tell the difference if you have any discernment here it's up to you to keep in touch with that person and and keep go back keep in touch with them okay get them to church invite them to church invite to take them out to dinner You know, salvation is free, but it costs much. How many know that? It does. Your whole life. You, know, you guys are blessed. You know, some of you, your whole family, or most of them are saved. I had none. His family wasn't saved, but we drove them crazy, I think. You know, I told you about Thanksgiving. We brought the tape recorder over, set in the middle of the thing. We were bound and determined that they were going to get saved. They did, every one of them. Then they started bringing their relatives over to our house. But at that dinner, everybody picked up their plate and went into the living room and watched the football game. That didn't, so we sat there and ate together. But they all got saved. So we didn't give up. Amen? So, many millions have been inoculated against the gospel by some flimsy gospel presentation and they are excited they are active they are accepted as the real deal but because they have no depth to their profession they fall away when the persecutions and tribulations associated with Jesus arrive to begin to have pro they begin to have problems with simple matters like church attendance prayer and reading the bible they have a difficult time making a genuine lasting break from their sins and from the world. They shrink away from radical claims of Christ and the cross. And they become offended when they are mocked, ridiculed, laughed at, or persecuted for the profession of faith. These are the, get ready because you're going to do communion, sweetie. These are the people who make a profession often running well for a time. They can run well for years. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay it out here, straight out before all of you. It can be years that they run well. 
It can be years that they serve God. I'm serious, but all of a sudden, something happens and they start falling away. And that falling away is very subtle. The enemy is very subtle. He just doesn't come strolling out there one day and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make you backslide. I'm going to cause you to fall away from God. Because if he did, you'd say, get away from me. It's very subtle. And it always starts, almost always starts with a fence somewhere. That's why last week I gave you this paper. And how many read it? I didn't hear from God to give it to you. I just, like I said, I played with it three, two or three times and finally gave it to you. You need to read this. Actually, the title of this sermon is called The Lucifer Spirit, and I will be teaching it. Pastor renamed it to Disloyalty, the Spirit of Absalom, but it's actually called The Lucifer Spirit. Do you, I mean, some people think that's a little heavy, but that's the name of it. And I will be adding scripture to it and I'll teach it. Because what we're talking about here, and I'm real aware of the time that it's 5 after 12, it's not going to kill you. You know, they sat in church all night into the morning with Paul and someone fell out the window and died. Must have been hot. I'm going to sit on the window because it's so hot. Okay. This, is, this just isn't sometimes a brand new baby Christian. We're talking this can be someone that's saved for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, that seed starts falling and that ground is changed. It's gotten hard. It's gotten become hard. These are the people who make a profession and often running well for a time. It can be a long time, then they wind up right back in the world. In the end, they are further away from God than they were before they made the profession. That is where the word says it would have been better had you never known the Lord. We will go on next week. ready? If you want to hear more, come next week. Remember, this is the place. This is the one. This is the place that it said, if you know this, you're going to know all the parables. But if you don't know this, you're not going to know. So we better get to knowing this. Amen? I'm looking around at everybody. So don't feel like you're picked at and I'm looking at you and whatever. I'm looking at everybody. We need to know. There are things in this last hour that we need to know and we need to know now. Like I said Wednesday night, people go, well, why is more expected against, seemingly more is expected against the Christians of this hour than before? No. I think there's more expected because we know more. 
I mean, if you know more, there's more expected. For, I mean, if you, if you have a kid and they know more, more, more is expected of them than those that don't. Amen? Well, we're the kids that know more. <laughs> That's a blessing. But there's also responsibilities that come with that. Amen? All right, handsome. It's good to have you here today. Our treasures. He said the bread represented his body, which was beaten, had stripes on it. And through scripture, we find out that by his stripes we were healed. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So with this thought, Father, we praise you. We just give you thanks for this emblem, Father God, that tells us, Father God, that we are redeemed, Father God, from the curse of sickness and disease. In Jesus' name. The cup, Jesus said, was the new covenant established by his blood. So powerful that it removed our sins. It gives us the opportunity to become sons and daughters of the living God. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for this cup, which represents the washing of away our sins, in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, I'll stay in here a little bit if you want to come up and need other prayer. Pastor's going to go on out and greet people.